questions, and then we move on to a new series. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all they that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. I'm just going to read down to the end of the chapter. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning. Thank you, as always, Lord, for your goodness to us, your mercy, and your grace. We ask that you'd bless now our Bible study time. Speak to our hearts through your word and by the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for the classes downstairs, that you would meet with each student and teacher alike as the word goes forth. And uh, just help us to leave this place different this morning than how we have arrived. Draw us closer, each of us, to you. Bless the morning worship service to follow in the junior church hour. Let everything that we do and say today be done to honor and to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, on your introduction here, we, I have for you uh, Acts chapter 17. And um, this is obviously not verses 1 through 41. I think it's actually verses 1 through 4. Now, the Bible says here, Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyanna, they came to Thessalonica, where it was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbaths day reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So here in the book of Acts, uh, when Paul was on his missionary journey, he went to the city of Thessalonica, and he preached there, and they established a local church there in Thessalonica. And now that what we read earlier, the uh, book of Thessalonians, Paul is writing to the church there, and uh, he's going to say some things to them there that we're going to look at this morning and learn from these things. So obviously the, the um, 
theme to this morning's lesson is, is witnessing and sharing our faith. And I think in the morning service, Ethan is going to show a short video of the downtown celebration. And uh, there was quite a group there on Wednesday night, and they were handing out prayer cards and invitations. And you were really, in a very real sense, that's what you were doing. You were witnessing to people and uh, sharing your faith with people. And that's what we're supposed to do as believers, amen? We're supposed to share our faith. I never forgot this guy. I was just a very young Christian, and we had a man, a preacher come, and uh, he just made a simple statement that really sunk into my heart as a young believer. And uh, he was a guest preacher that we had at church, and he said, always remember this, that sheep reproduce sheep. And so you and I, we're called sheep in the Bible. And so sometimes it's the idea as well, it's the pastor or the Sunday school teachers or whatever the leadership is in the church. They're the ones that witness and they're the ones that lead other people to Christ. No, it's all of our responsibility, amen, amen. to just share our faith. Now, we, we can't make people believe, but we can be used of God to plant the seed and then it's really, it's always a work of the Holy Spirit, amen? But we just plant the Word of God and, and tell people about Jesus and, or invite people to church or hand out a gospel track or do whatever we do. And um, we then depend on the Holy Spirit to take that and to do a work in a person's heart and to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But uh, the church in Thessalonica had a great reputation as a church that really witnessed. Now, notice on your handout under, the, under Thessalonica, this is a very important city, Thessalonica. It's found in northern Greece. And at the time of these writings, it was inhabited by not only Greeks, but by Romans and Jews, a very cosmopolitan type of a, a city. And the, name, the city was named after the sister of Alexander the Great. And it was one of the few cities that the Romans allowed for it to self-govern. Uh, most cities in that day, because Rome had conquered so much of the world, it was under Roman authority. But this particular city had a um, self-governing uh, government. But really what made this city so vital and so useful to the witnessing was it was a hub city. And uh, it was on the trade route that would take, that would go from uh, the, the, what was called the uh, Ignatian Way, which would go from Rome to Constantinople. So there was constantly people traveling to and from uh, trading and uh, or just traveling from from city to city, it was a major hub. I guess it, it was like today. I just flew. I just flew home last week from uh, Cedar Key, Florida. I flew into Atlanta. It, if you've ever flown into Atlanta, Atlanta is a major hub. Uh, when you fly anywhere, uh, many times you go through Atlanta, and it uh, always seems that they drop you off at Terminal A, and you got to make the connecting flight at Terminal F, and so you got to hike all the way through the airport or take the, I always walk because I usually have enough time, but you can take the subway uh, to get there. But that's a hub city. Uh, when I flew to Israel, we flew into Istanbul, Turkey. That's a hub city for flying. 
it's an amazing airport. And uh, we, we were there at 4 o'clock in the morning, and it could have been 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Shops were open, restaurants were open, things were going on. And um, it, it, if the, I, I said this before, if the, if the Turkish government wanted to impress people by the airport that they built there, they succeeded. It's quite an amazing airport. But don't mess around with the security in the Turkish airport. They're very strict. And uh, they're kind of tough. Not that I had any trouble, but there was somebody there that I'm thinking of, not in our group, that they didn't mess around with this person. But Thessalonica was like this. It was a very, very important city. And the church, the Thessalonian church, was really a model church. So let's look at some things. First, as Paul writes to the church here, he reminisces about them. And uh, he says this in verses number two and three. If you notice in our Bibles, he says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. So this was a group of people that the Apostle Paul, they were on his mind. And uh, he, he wasn't there but um, spiritually he was there, or in his mind he was there. He really just was praying for them and, and wanted the best for them. So by the way, you and I today, they're all, everybody's leaving for camp. So let's remember too, as everybody goes to camp, that you and I that are not going to camp, that we would be praying for all of those that are going to camp. That uh, they would have not only a great time, but that there'd be a spiritually... Um, Fruitful time. Uh, Pastor Ethan is preaching to the younger group this year. Um, and oh, I just forgot the name. Uh, the preacher who's Corey. Corey is preaching to the older group. Remember them. The counselors. They'll be uh, doing uh, devotions in the cabins. Uh, remember them. The, the kitchen staff, remember them in prayer. The sporting staff, the music people, pray for them throughout the week that, uh, that, that just God uses them. And then, of course, pray for all the campers. Many decisions are made at camp. My son met his wife at camp. And uh, so big decisions can be made at camp. Um, but keep them, keep them all in your prayers. So... Think about them. Paul here is thinking about them. And he says this in verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need to look now, but if you do a little bit of a study of Paul's letters to the churches, you will find faith, love, and hope. These three things he mentions in almost all of his epistles. Faith, love, and hope. And he's reminiscing about the believers there. So their work of faith, that they were, they were a people of faith. On your handout, James chapter 2, verse 17 says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, man may say that thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. In other words, when we're believers, we put our faith into action. It, it just, our faith comes out of us. We're, we're doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. 
So we have folks in our church that are volunteering to go to camp. Somebody asked me uh, before the service today, they said, are you happy you're not going to camp? Well, I'm not, I, I don't know if I would say I'm happy I'm not going to camp, but I put my 23 years in at camp, so I feel like I, I did my time. Right, Brother Jim? And uh, Brother, Brother Atherton put many, probably close to that, uh, working in the kitchen. And many of you, some of you have gone to camp. Some of you went once. All right, we'll give you credit for that. Uh, but uh, camp, it's a place to work. It's a place where you put your faith into action. Um, and that's what the, church, the folks in Thessalonica were. They were people of action. Our beliefs, someone once said, are determined by our behavior. There was not only action, but there was, an, there was an authenticity with their faith. They were authentic in what they believed. And, you know, it's interesting, but when you think about the early church and how churches were built, there was no marketing strategy that, you know, built churches. They just went in and preached the gospel. Um, the church wasn't built there because of the politics the church wasn't built there uh, because it had great facilities. They probably a lot of times just met outside or met in the market or met in somebody's house. It was just a work of the Holy Spirit of God. When I was in Belarus on a missions trip years ago, I remember we, all week long we handed out John and Romans and we were promoting a meeting that was going to take place. If I remember correctly, it was on Friday night. And um, the missionary, there was five groups, and my group, uh, the missionary I was working with, Mark Smith, we, we made our invitations, we spent the week inviting people to come, and um, we got to the place, the facility that they rented, it was like a town hall, and they had special music prepared and a whole program prepared, um, and anyone who came, we were giving out free Bibles in the Belarusian language, we had given out John and Romans during the week. And we got there and the building was locked. And so they didn't know what they were going to do. And so they finally got a hold of a town official. And it was uh, a Belarusian woman. She was kind of like stocky. And, in, you know, you could, you could see she was in charge. And so she just kind of went there and she was absolutely upset that this building wasn't open I don't think she was a believer. She was like your typical communist woman just ready to rip everybody's head off. So she got the doors open, and we were way late, and she finally marched us down. We were out of time. So there was no special music. There was no program. Brother Smith got up there. He preached the gospel, gave an invitation. People came forward to accept Jesus as their Savior. So the point of all this is I'm just saying is, it's all a work of the Lord, amen? That's how God works. And yeah, it would have been nice if we had the special music and everything else that was planned, but it was still a work of faith. And there was just an authenticity about it. And then you notice on the back of your handout, the second point in chapter 3, it was a labor of love. This church was commended for it. There was an intense labor united with all the trouble and all the toil. Um... In 2 Corinthians, on your handout, the Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. 
and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You know, I've been reading a book on uh, dealing with your emotions, and it's a pretty interesting book. But I've noticed going into the third chapter, the writer uh, with regards to Christianity and our emotions, he really keeps zeroing in on, on really a point that Paul makes here. The part that I have underlined on your handout. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You know, many of our... Well, I can only say this for me. I can't say it for you. But I think sometimes the problems we run into in life is because we're too wrapped up in ourselves. Like I just finished a chapter on marriage. Uh, and he said in the book, there's only two reasons that a marriage fails. One is the man and one is the woman. Those are the two reasons. You can smile at that, okay? It's a, boy, this is a rough crowd here this morning, I'll tell you what. The man and the woman. It's a selfishness. You know why most marriages fail? Somebody's selfish or both people are selfish. But marriage is about the other person. If you're a husband, it's about your wife. If you're the wife, it's about your husband. But we all get wrapped up, don't we, in self. The church there in Thessalonica, they understood that this was about others. Others. For we understand. We understand the love of Christ constrains us. The reason you and I are Christians is because Jesus went to the cross to die and pay for our sin. He thought of you and he thought of me. And he thought of others. And the, the church in Thessalonica, that's who they were. They were a church that thought about other people. This labor of love that they had. Loving people, caring for people. Um, and then the third, the third point in verse 3 is the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They had a hope. So their faith was a faith of action. Their love was an attitude that was also displayed in action. But there are also people who are awaiting the return of Christ. Jesus is coming back one day, amen? And that's what he said, he's coming back. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive shall be caught up, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In fact, Paul reminds them of that. Go to chapter 4 in, in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. You know, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, when Jesus ascended into heaven, there were some angels there where the apostles were. And you know what the angel said to those men? They said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that was taken up from you, he, so, he shall so come again in like manner. One day Jesus is coming back. And you know, every day we should live as if this could be the day that Jesus is coming home. Or Jesus is coming to take us home. Every day. One day he's coming. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 14, Paul wrote this. 
if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, amen? amen. We believe that Jesus died and he rose again. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus, I mean those who die, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Is that a hymn that we used to sing? Coming again, coming again, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and it may be soon. Oh, what a wonderful day that will be. But Jesus is coming again. In my office upstairs, I have hanging on the wall a gift that was given to me by our former missionaries to Papua New Guinea. And it's a picture of a Papua New Guinea village, grass huts. You know, Papua, there are areas of Papua New Guinea that are not third world, they're like tenth world. And that's a picture of just what Paul is writing about here. And um, I remember him telling us about the peoples of Papua New Guinea. They have, really, they live in, in great poverty. You and I, really, we live very comfortably, amen? And so I think sometimes we are so comfortable that we know, yes, Jesus is coming again. But just think of those who have nothing, those who are under persecution, those who are being imprisoned, those who have so much less than we have, the idea of Jesus coming again is an exciting thought. And Paul writes to them here, and uh, this, they, these folks here, he commends them, he reminisces, he says, you know, you are such a, you, you, you put your faith into action. And Paul says, that, that excites me. And he says, your attitude about loving people that excites me. And you're awaiting the, the return of Christ. Don't forget, that's where your hope is. We are not as others, he would write to them, that have no hope. But our hope is in Christ. We're awaiting his return. So then it turns from that, because this is who they were. And because of that's who they were, there was a great authenticity there. Others saw that in them. And now he talks about the relationships of the people. Chapter 1, look at verse 6. He says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. They were, they were um, a people who, it wasn't easy for them. It wasn't easy for them to become followers. It cost them something to become followers. Um, but they followed a human example here. Now, now look, look at the example that Paul laid out in verse 7 of chapter 2. Look what it says here. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. 
So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. For they gave it their all. And ye are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameable we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Well, you get a real taste of the attitude that Paul had for the folk in Thessalonica, they saw that. And so they followed that human example. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he was bivocational while he was there. That's what it means in verse 9, where it says, laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. He was a tent maker. He worked and he preached and he worked and he preached. And um, he wanted them to make sure that, he was th that they understood that he was there to primarily bring the gospel to them. And they did. And so they saw in Paul something different. I have a quote on your handout from Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, A man's life is always more forcible than his speech. A man's life is always more forcible than his speech. Someone said years ago, I remember hearing this, you've probably heard it too, that your life is the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. They have to see Christ in you. Do they see him living in you? What do they see in you as a believer? But then most importantly, they followed the human example. And by the way, that's where, that's where pastoral leadership comes in. God has given this church now three pastors in the, in the lead role. I, I, don't, I do not consider myself any longer the lead pastor of this church. Ethan is the lead pastor of this church. Pastor Ainsworth was our first pastor. Then God called me to pastor this church. And then now we've been in transition. I truly tell my friends in, in the ministry, I've kind of put myself in the assistant pastor's role. Or whatever, whatever. But I refer to him as the lead pastor of this church. That was the plan that we set into the works five or six years ago. And that's where we are. So you need to understand that. And sometimes that's difficult because I've been around so long and I'm the older guy. But I, and I don't have a problem with that. You know, I was thinking about this. I try to step in and fill roles now that I would always want an assistant pastor to have filled when I was the lead pastor. And so I do that. And, uh, and sometimes I have to be honest with you. Sometimes I gripe in my heart. Well, I wish somebody did this when I was the lead <laughs> But then I, get, then I get done with my pity party and, uh, and I just move on. So, but there's a... And you know what? I don't know if Ethan... I, Ethan didn't ask me to say this, but, you know, he's been Ethan for so long, he probably doesn't mind if you call him Ethan, but you ought to refer to him as Pastor Ethan. God's put him in that position. And um, 
And sometimes it's difficult. None of his siblings are here because his siblings don't think of him as pastor. They all think of him as their brother. But the other, the other um, I hope I'm not stepping over the boundaries here, but probably ought, ought to address him that way. Because that's the position. God's called him to this position. And, um, and I'm glad for that. So anyhow, um, pastoral leadership. But pastoral leadership is only good as long as the pastor follows the Lord. Amen? <laughs> if the pastor doesn't follow the Lord, then uh, he's lost that authority. So um, we notice here on our handout as we, we move along, they follow the Lord. It said, um, let's see, in verse number, uh, verse number six again, uh, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Um, following the Lord. So on your handout, I don't know who wrote this. I wrote it down, though I forgot who wrote it. But they said this. What if following Christ meant ridicule from friends and family, loss of status, loss of employment, maybe even uh, prison or death. Because that's, and that's just what I mentioned. And there's some places in the world that that's exactly what it means. But it means walking with Jesus. John 8, 12, Jesus said that I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Walking with Jesus. Another old hymn that said, follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I will follow him. Follow, follow, I will follow Jesus. Can't remember the rest of the song. Wherever he leads me, I will follow him. Amen. I don't like those old hymns, amen? I should have been raised on them. But following Jesus. So, but here's the deal, because we're talking about witnessing. People saw this in the church in, Thess in Thessalonica. They saw these people, their faith that they had. They saw the love that they had for one another and for the lost. They saw the hope that they had in a coming Savior. They saw how they, they uh, followed the, the pastoral leadership there and they followed the Lord. And then... Lastly, this church, it was the reputation of the church. Verses 5 and 8. For our gospel, it says in chapter 1, verse 5, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And then look at verse 8. For from you, meaning the church there, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God is spread abroad. So that we need not speak anything. So you remember Thessalonica, it's on uh, the main trade route. So people were coming in and out of that city and when they were going either east or when they were going west and they had come in contact with these believers or had come in contact with the gospel, they're just naturally taking it with them. 
And it seemed as if Paul's writing, wherever I go, I hear about your reputation back in Thessalonica and the work that you're doing there. There was a powerful reception of the word. 1 Corinthians 1.18 on your handout, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It changed our lives, amen? When we accepted Christ, our, so, so many of us, I mean, I was 24 years old when I received Christ as my Savior. It changed my life. And it's still changing our lives. And it changed their lives. Remember what, what Paul commended to them? Look what he said in verse, uh, the end of verse 9. He said, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. There was an influence it influenced them. The Word of God, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That word quick, it means it brings life. The Word of God is quick and powerful. And it influenced them. Souls were saved. Lives were changed. Families were strengthened. Addictions broken, and the list goes on and on and on. Relationships were established. Forgiveness, bitterness was dealt with, and anger, and, and whatever sin doth so easily beset one another. And it just changed these people here. Many of them, if you read about this, a little, do a little extra reading, many of them, there was a trade union in Thessalonica. Many of them lost their jobs. Because to be a member of the trade union, you had to worship the deities. And um, if you didn't worship the false gods, then you were kicked out of the trade union. You had to swear allegiance to them. What an example they were. That's what the gospel does. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. But this was the witness of those people. You know, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But in Romans it says, how shall they call on him? How shall, no, how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? No, that's not how it goes. How shall, oh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 says, uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And how beautiful are the feet, and I'm just paraphrasing this part of it, how beautiful are the feet that bring the gospel. So, I don't know what all of you that were at the downtown celebration on Wednesday, I don't know what your feet look like, but according to the Bible, they were pretty beautiful. As you handed out gospel material and shared your faith, and invited people to church. The Bible says you had beautiful feet. Were you there? You were there, weren't you? That's why you, I don't know what your feet look like, but you had beautiful. Don't take your shoes off. <laughs> nasty. Mom says they're nasty. <clears throat> but they were they influenced. So I finish up. Authentic, the conclusion, authentic Christians have an authentic witness both in word and deed. 
We must, be des- we must desire to be what martyred missionary Jim Elliott called a crisis man. Jim Elliott said this, and he, was, he and four others were martyred for the faith. Let me not be a milepost on a single road, he said. Make me a fork in the road that men must turn one way or the other. Men must turn one way or the other. Anybody can be a milepost. But when you're the fork in the road where people come into contact with you and you share your faith, then they have to decide. They go one way or they go the other. And it's just amazing that this church there, really all of the early churches, no internet, no social media, no television, no radio, none of that. And yet the gospel spread through that portion of the world. It was just a great work of believers and the Holy Spirit of God moving in the hearts and minds of men. It's the same Holy Spirit today. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just wherever you are, whoever you are, however you can, just be real and authentic in your faith, in your relationships with other believers, in your reputation. By the way, this church, this is a great reputation that this church has. And and here's why it's important for you and I individually. Every church, every local church, it projects a certain image. And, and so for, it's so vitally important that you and I are authentic because when we tell other people, well, will you come and visit at Mount Greylock Baptist Church or we hand out material, but you're, the rest of your life is projecting to people what you really are. And then not only does a church project an image, but a church needs to protect an image as well. And that's for you and I living as the Thessalonians did. They lived godly lives. They turned from sin. They turned to Christ. Uh, They were used of the Lord in a great way. And Paul, he writes to them. He's so excited. If you read through the rest of of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you see the excitement Paul had for these believers as they see God working in and through. Um, He saw God working in and through them. And um, great church, a great model church in the New Testament. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, bless the morning worship service. Let it all bring honor and glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.